Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rock and Retrospect. I'm your host, Nick Babak. Today, I'm joined by Mike Wiles of the Retro Rock Roundup podcast. How's it going, Mike? Well, thank you. Yes. Um, hi. How's it going, Nick? Great to see you. Always great to see you, Mike. Yes, I, you're doing great. And this is a very fun thing to do. I know you've been working on this podcast for a while. I know Nick because we play Name That Tune on Zoom. Uh, we've done this for like every week for the last couple of years, and it's been a lot of fun. And I've got to meet great people besides, you know, all the people that were on there originally. But now you've come on board last year, a year and a half ago, and your music knowledge is fantastic, amazing. You, you uh, amaze me every week. But Mike really likes classic rock. That's something that he's known for. His favorite band is the Rolling Stones. Yes, yes. And today we're not talking about the Rolling Stones, but we're talking about another band. So Six and Rolling Stones may break my bones. (laughs) There you go. See, We're going to talk about Sticks today because, you know, this is a band that Mike really likes. And I was intrigued because Six is a band that I'll be honest, like I know the hits, but I really don't know beyond that with this band or their story as much. So I was really intrigued when I talked to Mike, asked him to be on the show, and he's going to enlighten us about Sticks. I've always liked Sticks. It's different music completely than what my Rolling Stones and my Bruce Springsteen that I like, but I like it because it is different. And it's, you know, arena rock. And really, though, it kind of really is something that um, I learned through my childhood because I was born in the 60s, early 60s, but I was a kid, teenager, you know, in the 70s. and the Rolling Stones come from I had older sisters that were Rolling Stones fans and they would have me. I would grab their records and that's how I learned all this stuff and liked it. But sticks I found out on my own through, you know, radio. And then I've been to concerts and I just I think they're amazing and they're still going, you know, now five decades later. Yeah, it's a band that you take for granted, but they've been around for over half a century now. It's kind of correct. correct. Like, Where's the time gone? Right. Honestly, I guess I have uh, too much time on my hands to do there you go. for this episode. <laughs> See, as Mike knows, we're full of bad puns. So we are. We do we live off this song pun thing. Somebody would drive people crazy, but we uh, do it. <laughs> you have to, though, because I think part of it is like you want to have fun, too, of course. Everybody always laughs at it, you know, after they figure it out. <laughs> oh, I think they laugh at me, Mike. I don't think they're oh, just laughing. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, Mike, you mentioned that you grew up in the 70s and you liked Sticks. What was your earliest memory of the band? So the radio station, because Sticks was from Chicago, south side of Chicago, you know, they're homegrown. That's where they were born and raised. And they all were neighbors and friends that started playing together. I originally did it because I was like probably when Lady was released, uh, became a hit. It became a hit on AM radio on WLS AM 890, which was the really the only station that most people had in their cars in Chicago because people didn't have a lot of FM radios. And AM 890 was a huge station in Chicago. It had every pop and rock song. It had all the DJs. It had uh, you know these legendary DJs, uh, Larry Ludjack and John Landecker and Bob Surratt, who are all now doing different things. But I grew up listening to that type of music because it was always on the radio. Lady was a song that was on their first album, didn't do much, but all of a sudden it gets picked up on WLS. The DJ starts playing it. 
and the thing goes crazy. And we'd hear it all the time. And then it went to be like a worldwide hit, but they weren't really known that much except for Lady. And then they had a follow-up, Lorelei, which was another hit they had in like, I want to say like 74, 75. You know, these were songs I learned just from, you know, they played on the radio all the time. And so you start listening, I want to hear more of their music, you know? And then as I got into high school, you know, eighth grade high school, all my friends were into sticks. And really, if you look back, so kind of the beginning of it is Dennis DeYoung and Chuck and John Panazzo were neighbors and friends. Mm -hmm. Outside of Chicago, they start playing together. And then uh, James Young joins them. Uh, They originally had, uh, before they had Tommy Shaw, um, they had John Cherluski as their guitarist. But they were all friends. They started playing like their high school dances and then they started playing you know local theaters and stuff like that you know and where they recorded their first album and they weren't on a major label they were on an album called wooden nickel records you know which is a local record company you know and then later they got signed to AM. but that's how it all came but they i did they really chicago radio really helped make them a worldwide known act yeah, and you're from Chicago, so that kind of has you have that connection with. Uh, yeah, so we were in the. That's... I'm in this group in the suburbs. I was born and raised in a town called Joliet, Illinois, which is about 50 miles uh, south of uh, Chicago. But you know, everything was Chicago. That's so great. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. I was really trying to think of my own first memory of six. This is such a strange question to ask because I grew up in the 90s, and honestly, I think it was. Probably one of their hits, like Mr. Roboto or probably Renegade. Like, it's hard to pinpoint, at least for me, what was the first song, because I feel like these songs have been around forever, as long as I've been alive. And like when we did our Foreigner episode with uh, Dave Fassini, I I had a hard time thinking of that, too, because I feel like maybe their greatest hits were in the collection of my parents' house or I don't know. There's just the band that you, you, do you feel that way about that sometimes? Yes, Mike? and I think and I think what their music is is classic rock radio still plays them decades oh, a later. ton. You know, this the hits and some of those hits though also have shown up in commercials. You know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Roboto did gives it a whole new life. Too much time on my hands. Jimmy Fallon did the whole thing on it a few years ago. Right. Like those songs just keep popping up, maybe whether it be used in movies or commercials. Uh, the best of times have been used and it just they just live on. There's something about timeless pop music, not even just rock and roll, pure rock and roll or pop music that I think really they encapsulate so well with some of their hits. Too much time my hands is like a banger. Like and I say that literally, like that song it goes to a 10 in two seconds or renegade. Like those songs are just so great. Even if you're not a a diehard six fan. You still have to crank it up. It's incredible. Well, and I think they, you know, they originally when they first album came out, they were very progressive, you know, and Dennis had his keyboards and they would go on these long songs with Greek mythology and different things based on their name sticks. You know, I think Tommy Shaw coming into the band really brought that pop and hook sensibility that worked beautiful with Dennis. Right. Um, and his singing voice. But the thing I really give them credit for, and this would sadly probably not happen today, is they started out, I think their first album, which was just titled uh, Sticks, was in 72. They put out six albums before they went as a worldwide success. 
Now, how many record companies or fans would stick around for six albums, which were some were really good albums, but never really hit big, you know, but but it was worth the wait because the seventh was Grand Illusion. Right. Then they became megastars or superstars of the 1970s. You couldn't escape their music. And they're part of that ubiquitous mainstream pop era, like, you know, along with like Journey and Foreigner and Kiss and bands like that, that kind of, you couldn't escape them. I guess no, that's what couldn't. I'm saying. No, you couldn't. And, you know, I think they really hit their stride on all the sticks, Grand Illusion, to me yeah. is where they really hit it. They hit, they hit the best of, they knew how to make hits now, like Come Sail Away, uh, like Fooling Yourself. You know, again, Tommy Shaw, The Fooling Yourself. Dennis would come sail away. They just meshed perfectly together. Great radio hits, along with great album tracks. I mean, yeah. Miss America, which is JY's song, they still play. A Grand Illusion, you know, really was not like a single. It was just the opening, and everybody FM radio played it like mad. To me, it is one of their best albums, most complete from beginning to end. But, you know, it really set the pace for what was going to come. And it started a trend which is, I think we're going to talk about them getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. From 77 through 83, so six years, I mean, just six years, short time, they release five albums. The first four go triple platinum, and the second one, the last one goes, I think, double platinum. It might be triple platinum by now. But, I mean, you know, who has that kind of streak in a row? You're releasing albums 77, 78, 79, like, you know, all excellent albums. Yeah. And these were like really big, big sellers for that era. Even like foreigners and band we covered in the past, like they're kind of like on that level with sticks too, where it's, you forget how many times platinum these sticks and foreigner and even journey albums went. Like it's kind of crazy almost. Well, and you know, a lot of times you'll get a band that, you know, maybe has worked and worked. They get a big album like Grand Illusion. Right. And then they can't make a follow-up that ever follows up to it, you know. So they have a huge album with Grand Illusion. This kind of, Nick, I'm going to show my age now. This goes through my whole high school years because I was a freshman in high school. I was 14 when this this came out, okay? You know, so then they go, okay, that's going to be their big one. They're going to be able to follow it up. Well, they come out with Pieces of Eight in 78. The next year, now I'm a sophomore. It's funny you hold that album cover and listeners can obviously see it, but I that I knew before the band, like, it's really weird for me. I don't know <laughs> if that makes sense, but like, I knew that album cover, but I never knew that it was sticks because it's the close up shots of the women, like the woman's face. Really say hair. sticks. Now, maybe you know, they had labels over the plastic, but you know, it doesn't say sticks on here. Right. But it's been an iconic album for years, album cover, I should say, for years. Right. You know? And they come out again with Blue Collar Man, Renegade. It just keeps going. They just made excellent. They were on such a roll with excellent rock songs that were radio friendly. They were radio friendly and FM radio friendly. They hit a wide variety of fans. Oh, yeah. Those songs are infectious. Like a lot of the ones you mentioned, Mike, like they're like earworms. Like we're literally I'm already singing in my head too much time on my hands like it's just mm-hmm. incredible quite honestly like their knack for harmonies and melodies it's i think very very special you mentioned high school and i have to ask you a question that i ask every guest have you ever seen sticks live i have so that was until my senior year of high school which was the paradise theater tour 
uh, was the first time I saw them. So that was, to me, their peak of popularity. 1980, Paradise Theater comes out, and I'm a senior in high school, and this thing is all over. My friends love it. Everybody has it. And, you know, it's got Rock in the Paradise. It's got the best of times. It's got, of course, the song we just talked about, Too Much Time in My Hands. But the deep tracks are be great. And it's a great concept album about during the, that time, 1980, there was a lot of problems with the economy, inflation, gas, whatever it sounds like today. But there's a lot of problems going on. And so it was all about going back and re- renewal, basically. Like this was a, a concept album about a, a theater an old theater, which he showed the back rundown from, you know, fictional theater in Chicago from the forties. It was really a heyday. And then they let it all get run down and then they rediscovered it again. So, you know, it's got a positive theme to it, but that tour, I saw them. So that I saw them, the album came out in late 80. I saw them in the winter of 81 at the Rosemont horizon, which is a big continent. Now it's called all state arena, a big theater in Rosemont, Illinois, that was now the, you know, it's a big, it's been there for 40 years and it's just, you know, great concert place. And they put on, you know, full show. They had, you know, like the big stage with the Paradise Theater. They got a guy come out like, like a theater guy sweeping up before the show opens and amazing, amazing show. Oh, that's so awesome. You only, did you only see them once or how many it's, times have you seen them? So I saw them, that, that was my first inaugural. And then I saw them, and this was the most original, most unusual and original show. They did the uh, Kilroy was here in 83. Okay. Now there was some tensions growing in the band before this because Tommy Shaw and JY were very rock and roll based. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dennis liked to get more into the concept albums, was more pop based, like he had the hit Babe, you know, the soft rock hot from Cornerstone in 79. And he was kind of pulling them into that, you know, let's do this theatrical thing and this, you know, pop thing. And there was a lot of friction in the band. But the thing about it they can't argue with is during that time, they sold you know millions of albums with his, you know, like the Paradise Theater concept and his pop songs sold besides their songs. So I think they went along with this production of Kilroy was here was like a when you'd go to the show and it was what they started out to do, they started out with this tour in small theaters and they were a massive band with a massive popularity but they were gonna do this thing that had a combination of movie and robotics and they were gonna play in a small theater to pull it all off you know I think they said they lost money on it because you with an expense and you couldn't sell as many tickets they were sold out but the original funny thing about this uh, Nick is we and me and my friends go now mind you we're like 19 we're all excited to go we go to the auditorium theater it's a smaller theater in Chicago an older beautiful theater to see sticks and we're in the upper deck and we get there we're all excited we get there on like I want to say it's a Tuesday night you know we're going to have fun and we're there and there and there's a delay and there's another delay and sticks isn't coming on and it, you know, probably an hour Past the time. All of a sudden, a gentleman walks out from the theater with his microphone and said, this has this concert has to be tied to this movie and the, the whole thing. It can't just be the band playing. This is not how they wanted it. We have some technical problems that can't be resolved tonight. We have to do another night. And they didn't do they they couldn't do the show. We had to come back. Now, mind you, like, you know, I had a work schedule. I had, you know, I worked part time. I had, you know, college. It was but we made it back. We had to go back like three days later. 
And they gave everybody a coupon to go to some record store in one of the stores to get a free album. At least that's nice because they nice. could have just, yeah, yeah. so. just said, screw you, come or too bad. That's really nice that they gave you a free album. Was it that yeah. album, the Kilroy? No, you could get a coupon for whatever to go buy it at this record store. I can't remember what it was. They had a, you got like a $10 gift certificate back then to go get an album at whatever you wanted. That's you still wanted. good. I mean, because that's oh, that, that, very that, nice. That's a, so he came, you know, okay, well, we'll come back, you know. And we came back and a week later, a few nights later, fantastic show. People had criticized this thing as being over theatrical and then, but in the small theater, the cool, you know, at the time, now it looks kind of gaudy, but the 80s robots and the movie, you know, and the whole theme might have been a little cheesy, but it was fun. And then they came out and played. And because they were playing in a smaller theater, they mixed up the set list. And besides playing the whole Kilroy Was Here album, he got in the piano, Dennis, and played Great Balls of Fire. He played like oldies just because they're over with their Chicago audience. We we're going to play oldies that we grew up on. It was a great show. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. I know they're a really great live band. So I was really excited to hear you talk about that because from everything I've seen, they just seem like they really light up the auditorium or the arena or wherever they're playing. Oh, I got this. It's a combination of the show and special effects. I've seen them recently too. The show and the special effects, but they're such all of them. And this is the, what makes them so special is they're all great musicians. Oh, yes. I mean, Tommy, JY, uh, you know, Chuck Dennis. Canazzo, you know, all, all of our amazing, Dennis, amazing voices, one of the most professional musicians I've ever seen, and they put on a great show. And then after, after that show, we're leaving the show, show's over with, and this is Chicago, there's like little alleys in Chicago, like by the sides of theaters, as we're walking by, there's Tommy Shaw, sweating like mad, shaking hands with the fans, sitting in the alley. Wow. Of so I got to shake his hand. Um, I know he really was totally against this whole tour. He didn't like the the idea of the killer. I thought it was corny. He was like, oh, because he, he had to be like actors a certain part. I didn't want to be an actor. And it really kind of drove the band apart. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, where, that's where Dennis and them just, they didn't make another album. They, had, they released a live album for their contract and then they were done you know, at least for quite a few years, but I enjoyed it. That's all that counts, honestly. Yeah. And I thought it was a very well, great show and seeing a, seeing a band that has, you know, grown to be in an arena rock band in a smaller theater is something you don't get to do very often. No, that's actually what makes it, I think even more special is when yeah. you get to see a really big arena rock band like sticks in a more intimate setting. Yes, yes. I think that's awesome. I've never seen Sticks live. Would be wonderful to see Sticks live. But I've seen them um, recently, three times now since Lawrence Gowan has with a new lineup. You know, with Lawrence Gowan, I will tell you, Lawrence Gowan is amazing. Okay, and we can get into that later about Dennis and Lawrence, the differences and stuff. But I've seen them um, 2014. I want to say I've seen them in 2000. 17 and then i saw they were doing like tours with like ario speedwagon they, they kind of group them together now but then i saw them um in june they did the unzoomed tour it was called with mm -hmm. Loverboy, ario and sticks was the main you know the main act at the end of the night and they were just amazing again 50 years later great showmanship great musicianship tommy shaw and james young jy are still you know the bedrock of that band you know, the original founding members, 
they bring Chuck Bonazzo has a lot of health ailments. Yeah. And so they, Ricky Phillips is the bass player now that was in the babies. But Chuck comes out, not every show, but most shows and does a few songs. He's older, you know, does a few songs with them. So he's still part of the band. Tom Zuckerman is the drummer. He's no drummer because John Pinozo's brother died in the 90s from alcoholism. John Pinozo passed away. So Todd's taking over his amazing job. And Lawrence is a great showman. He's a, again, he fits right in with the great musicianship, just has jumped in there. And I think he does a, an amazing job. Yeah. Everything I've seen with Lawrence, it looks like he's really doing justice to the sticks catalog when he performs with the uh, band and the Verbena members who plays. Let's talk about the band's history for a bit, because I think this is a band. I'm going to be honest, Mike, I had no idea about their history. Really. I knew like a little bit, but I was so Mm. intrigued for this episode because of this section of our recording. So let's talk about their early years together as a band. Uh, where did they originally get their start? Was it in Chicago? Yeah, south side of Chicago. They grew up as neighbors in the south side. Um, matter of fact, uh, Dennis DeYoung had a solo album a couple of years ago, and it's called, oh my gosh, it's something East, something East Street, whatever the address of his solo album was where the street where they he lived, and they were all neighbors. They went to high school together. Him, Cherluski, if I got that right, the Panazzo brothers, Dennis played accordion originally. That was his instrument. You know, when he was in, like, you know, his parents, he was from a family group, a musical family. He played accordion, which he then, you know, went to keyboards and piano and stuff. And they got together. And again, from just playing together as friends to then, you know, getting, uh, playing high schools and auditoriums around the local Chicagoland area, south side of Chicago area to where all of a sudden they get a recording contract with this wooden neckle records and came out with their first album. Uh, John uh, Trulewski was their first guitarist with then James Young joined, you know, they had two guitarists. Um, they recorded a few albums and from the story I understand with John Trulewski is they're starting to get a little bigger. He just didn't want to tour. He wanted, he was, a, he got married like some of the other ones and wanted to have a family. Didn't want to have the rock and roll life. And so they bring in Tommy Shaw. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, fascinating. And they something to add to their story that I think is fascinating is that they had daytime jobs, like regular jobs while yeah. they were in the band. So I believe Chuck and I forgot who else, they were like music and art teachers. And then I believe Dennis was a cab driver, right? Oh, yeah, they all had regular jobs to pay yeah. the bills. I know a lot of musicians now locally here do that same thing, you know, until they could actually break free, you know. Um, Dennis got married young and he's still married to the same woman all these years, you know, um, and she was with him through the whole thing, you know, from the good and the bad and getting up in their career. It's amazing. And they, I have somewhat of a minor connection to this. So when they recorded Grand Illusion, Pieces of Eight, Cornerstone and Paradise Theater, all those albums were recorded in Oak Lawn, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. There was a guy. Back in the 60s, there was a band called American Breed, and they had a one-hit wonder with Bend Me, Shake Me. Their lead singer was Gary Loizzo. Mm -hmm. Gary Loizzo um, 
got to know the band. And but he also decided after his career kind of ended in the late 60s, early 70s with American. He won. He was a musician, but loved the, the studio. He opened up a studio in Oklahoma called Pumpkin Records and Pumpkin Records. He got to know the band and he recorded all those albums were recorded in a small recording studio in Oklahoma, Illinois. Pumpkin, his studio, Pumpkin Studios. And he recorded all those albums with them. He was the engineer. Um, he's close friends with them. He passed away about 10 years ago from cancer, but they would have him out later, later days to his to perform once in a while. They did a tribute to him. They had him come out to a lot of other concerts when they knew he was sick. He came out and performed with them. You know, he's been like just a, such a close friend because he was such an integral part of the successful albums. Well, I'm going to give you some uh, trivia. And uh, I'm sure some listeners know this. Do you know what band the American Breed after they split essentially became in the 1970s? What did they do? I I know, but I can't think of it right now. Rufus, uh, because that's how Shaka Khan uh, got her start. But this is like pre-Shaka Khan, because the American Breed, of course, had that song. I think you mentioned Bend Me, Shape Me, which was, I believe, a top five hit. But it's weird because that band split it up and kind of divided, ended up giving rise to one of the greatest soul singers of all time, who's also from Chicago. So Right. So, yeah, look at that. And they split up. And then, then of course... You know, um, Gary, you know, opens a studio and because he's friends with Sticks, they come in and record these, you know, these albums that are now legendary. Um, and the my only connection to it. So my we live in a I live in the suburb of Chicago, a town called Naperville and the town next over is Plainfield. Um, my wife's hairdresser is Gary Loizzo's daughter. Oh, so she could be talking. She's like, oh, my dad was I'm like, who is your dad? You know, and then realized, you know, and so at, at the when Gary passed away, she was like there all at her, her at her house was Dennis DeYoung, Kevin Cronin from REO, all the stick members of Sticks. They all know her. They're like her friend. Like they know Dawn. Oh, yeah. You know, and matter of fact, she was telling me on Kilroy was here. There's a song that James Young does, and it's a really good rocker. It's called Heavy Metal Poisoning. And it's all about how the, you know, the the right wing wanted to stop the censoring of albums, right? The censoring of albums and all that stuff, you know, and and so they, it's like very about heavy metal poisoning is poisoning the minds. And there's a part where in the song, if you listen to it, where there's a chorus of kids going sex and drugs, sex and drugs. She said, you know, I used to go to the studio because my dad was there. I was a little kid, six years old. He rounded up all our cousins to come into the studio and scream sex and drugs, sex and drugs. She's on this album singing. It's like six years old. Oh my God. <laughs> but that's amazing that your was it your wife or daughter? Yeah, my wife's friend, her friend, yeah. hairdresser, she's a friend. And, you know, I, I'll go with my wife just so I get more details on stuff, you know, like ask her questions. And I mean, and that's kind of it. amazing. Cause it's almost like once removed from, from well, him. And we had uh, Jeremy and I had uh, Lawrence Gowan, you know, Dennis's replacement from Sticks on our podcast last year. Yes, you did. And so he he was fantastic. But before we got started, before I turned on the recording, I I said, oh, I said, uh, I live in Naperville. I said, actually, my wife is friends with uh, uh, Gary Loizzo's daughter. He goes, Dawn? He goes, oh, Dawn's a great, you know, so it's kind of funny. He got this major star and he he knows my wife's hairdresser. So it's like a twinkle in his eye. Probably he's like, wait, what? Like he goes, Dawn? Dawn? You know, he's 
<laughs> That's amazing. I have to ask, Mike, because I was not sure of this. How did they come up with the name Styx? It's a they it's a Greek mythology term. I'm not sure all the but they, you know, they were just kind of into that. I think it kind of went your first albums were very almost like Dennis had a very classical music themes to them. Some songs were instrumental, they were prog rock. It was nothing like too time too much time in my hands or babe or you know it was very prog rocky that he took them down that way but then they just evolved over time and I think to be more commercial they had to kind of ramp you know change their sound but they still kept it in their music. Yeah, definitely. And that actually leads me to my next question which is how would you describe Styx's sound like and which artists or genres would you say they were influenced by? I think they were influenced by a combination of prog rocks like Yes, maybe some King Crimson. You know, these very, you know, bands that have these long songs. And I'm not a big prog rock fan at all, but I like their rock because they take that, but they mix in the pop and rock. And I think it was because they were ra- also raised by things like American Breed and all these local bands, pop rock bands in this that were in Chicago, like the Shadows of Night, um, all these, you know, the Buckinghams. They had that pop rock sensibility too. And it kind of just combines. So to me, it's like it's arena rock, you want to call it stadium rock, but I think it's got great hooks. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of proggy, but only to the minimum, which I like. You know, the yeah. songs the songs aren't 15 minute long. They're they're you know, most of their hits are five minute songs, you know, or under. Are you saying, Mike, that you don't like prog rock bullshit? I'm not a huge fan. I understand. I don't, I, I don't know. I've tried to be funny for Michael Bell. I know. I know. We have friends of ours that get about it. It's, so, it's mean, so much fun to give him shit. Well, and you know what? I understand prog rock. I understand why yes. people like it. I don't, you know, I, that's why I never like to be as a music snob. And the people that are play prog rock are amazing musicians. Right. They are. You know, and every every genre is different and everything has its good and, you know, things you like and you may not like about it. And some people really embrace it. But I like this because it kind of is a bit of both. Yeah, I agree, because their earlier albums definitely have a more prog rock sound. And I really picked up on that. And it's really interesting because they kind of went a lot of the bands you said, but like Yes and Genesis, especially where they kind of as they start off really prog rock and then they kind of slowly go more towards a pop direction and they do it for different reasons because people leave the well, yes did it with 90125 i mean you know and um, then phil collins went pretty much the the lead man role or the lead singer role and yeah it's like one of those things where like except for cream crimson <laughs> it feels like almost every prog rock band had that slow trajectory towards a pop sound and i feel like sticks kind of fits right in there but you're right like these songs have such really good like really great hooks like uh, a a six chorus is really something to behold quite honestly well that's part of it yes the harmonies the combination of dennis voice and tommy's and jy's together there's no other band that sounds like that no and i think it's also the fact that they really really were distinctive too. You knew it when Dennis DeYoung sang, you knew it was definitely him. Even their music, the instrumentation, there's just, there's no one. You know, it's them. They make it. it Yeah. It's hard to explain, but they have like the, and they're really good at opening like for their songs, like blue collar man and all those songs. They just, they have really good openings that are a little mysterious, 
but mm-hmm. they work so well. Now, which artists do you think they were influenced by besides like King Crimson and Genesis? Like anyone else that you think in particular? Well, I think that's where I think they get a lot of the proggy part. But I think a lot of their pop sensibility seems to come from the more stripped down 60s bands that they were, you know, were friends with and were new, you know, from the 60s and early 70s. There's a definitely, but it's also, if you listen to, there's some like, you know, if you hear JY's music and stuff, you can tell that hard rock bands like Led Zeppelin, right? you know, really played a, you know, role in their, in their um, formation of music, their influence. You can, you can hear that. You can hear the, the almost the Black Sabbath or the, you know, especially in JY's songs. They're hard rockers. I hear a lot of the Who too, like they're yeah, the way you're that right. they yeah. approach that, and also Queen, just for the mm-hmm. sheer flamboyance and the sheer uh, bravado and the <laughs> the stage yeah, presence. Yeah, and I think Dennis was a lot of the bravado. Oh yeah. yes, he, Dennis yeah. is a ton of bravado. Uh, <laughs> but but you're right. I, I I think like a lot of those bands, even like Deep Purple or. Even Pink Floyd, like I can hear like a lot of like they're almost like a melting pot with classic rock in a weird way. Like who we now consider classic rock, like all the bands I just said and you said, mm-hmm. it feels like they kind of are in like a stew and then that's kind of sticks in a way. Like it's hard to it explain. Is. It's a melting pot and they molded it to a wide, to reach a wide audience. Right. They made it for a, a commercial or a mainstream entity or um, and and honestly, I remember that because I used to live reading Rolling Stone magazine, and they were critically panned at all these albums that are oh excellent God. albums. And the thing about it is, they had the last laugh because they're selling four million, and this music is still sounds great today. You know, yeah, absolutely. They were never, and I'm just gonna say this because we're gonna talk about this later, um, probably more depth, but they were never liked by critics, like ever <laughs> i don't i don't even know if they had a critically acclaimed album by like say rolling stone i would really be hard pressed because even like the four or five that went multi-platinum i i don't think that they honestly were yeah. i think in retrospect now that they're looked down upon as you know this is something really good i think I, is you know I, I love that you mentioned my podcast in like oh yeah that's right in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> see? see it all comes around uh, no, I'm kidding. We talked a little bit about this, but Styx would sign with a major label, AM Records, in 1975. And this was due in large part to their breakout hit Lady, which was released the following year. Now, despite all this, the guitarist John Trulisky, who was the guitarist, left the band, as Mike pointed out, because he didn't really want to live a rock and roll lifestyle. But in his the wake of his exit, or after he leaves, Tommy Shaw enters the picture. We talked a little bit about this uh, at the beginning, but what do you think, Mike, Tommy Shaw brought to the table that maybe was missing in Sticks up until 75, 76 when he comes in? A couple things. I think he brought in, first thing, a different voice that could harmonize beautifully with Dennis. I think um, he brought in a pop set, both a pop and a rock sensibility. He probably brought in more of the combination of, with JY, the hard rock to a point, but also his singing was more uh, hook laden and was drifting away from these really dramatic things Dennis was doing. You know, he did Crystal Ball, 
which is the album after they released the with, with John Cherlewski and they signed with AM, they did Equinox. Equinox is a highly underrated album. I mean, it's yeah. got the great song Lorelei. To me, this should have been as big as Grand Illusion. Uh, there's just some fantastic songs. Uh, Light Up that they still play, uh, Midnight Run, which is a JY underrated classic deep track. It was a great, it's a great album from beginning to end. And they followed up with Crystal Ball, which he had a, a kind of a minor hit with. Again, these weren't major breakthroughs, but Crystal Ball is Tommy's song that he still plays today. And it sounds fantastic. Again, though, it's got the combination of him and then Dennis's harmonies, more of a maybe more of the little bit of prog rock mixed in with it. But he brings the right pop and hook sensibilities to it. it makes it a great song. Yeah, he definitely uh, does. And I think you put it so well. He brought those harmonies. And I think the songwriting, too, was changed a little. Like, I feel like they kind of were more abstract, I would say, at the beginning. Yeah. And they were working together. Now, a lot of the songs were, you know, sometimes like Come Sail Away is pure Dennis. But some of the other songs, Fooling Yourself, and were, you know, some of the songs were written together. And you could tell, you know, they meshed. I think they meshed together well. To a point. And then Dennis, they were not happy with Dennis wanting to go to the more pop, really going to the more pop songs. Like when they did Cornerstone, um, they did, uh, you know, Babe, which was a, which is written to his wife. It was just really a song he writ, wrote not to release, just as a gift to his wife. But they ended up using it. Somebody had recommended using it became a, their number one hit. And there was another song in there called First Time. It's a ballad. And the band was like furious about they they almost had they almost fired Dennis during that recording album over him wanting to put that on the album. But then they came together and you know, so there's been there's some as they were getting more part popular, there were some tensions in there. Oh yeah. I, I think that's something that I learned in my research about this band that it feels like there's always been kind of tension in the band, like even throughout their history. Like, and I don't know if it's because sometimes creative minds or forces kind of clash or butt heads. But do you, do you think that's a fair assessment that it feels like there was always kind of tension yes. throughout the history? As they got more popular, and I think it, I think every band goes through this, and I think it's part of it is combination of burnout and, you know, tensions. So you get big. So you go from being, you know, a, a rock band that played in the Chicagoland area, you know, 77 comes out, you know, and you're worldwide superstars. And your whole life changes, you know, the, for the whole band, the whole life change. And they keep having bigger and bigger albums. They're playing all over the world to thousands of people. And, you know, I think there's a burnout back there. Plus there's a, there's, I'm sure there's a tearing point. I'm selling millions of records, but is this the sound I want? Or as you get, you know, you're, you're expanding your horizons. You know, I want to do different things. You know, Dennis wanted more pop. Tommy and Jay wanted more rock. And, they couldn't argue with the success they were having, but that's where the tensions came in, you know? And I think D Dennis, I love Dennis. He's an amazing talent, a great singer. He's really a big, you can't, you would not be, you know, he is why one of the reasons him and Tommy and Jay all equally, if you take one out, they, those albums wouldn't have been this successful. Okay. So he was very part of it. I think he has a, I think he has a big ego. <laughs> I think oh. he's a, yeah. You know, I just, you know, big ego. And it's just a point where they just couldn't work together anymore. Yeah, it seems like they were dealing with egos and 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, it just seems almost like one up each other. It's it's hard to explain. And I think that competitive nature is good, though, because if you think about the albums from 77 to like 83, they're pretty massive hits, but they're also probably the albums that define this band, at least for. Oh, yeah, legacy. that's the reason why they would. To me, we'll talk about them not being not being or should be in the Hall of Fame. This is why they should be, because those, you know, those five albums are timeless to me. They've got every one of them got two or three hit songs that still will get played 50 years later. They've got deep tracks that their fans know for years, you know, um, that they still play today. They're just amazing. And again, that that friction caused great music. That's sometimes that does happen with bands like. I mean, I can't think of one offhand, but there's plenty of examples where sometimes that is the well, light, the spark that needs to light the fire, honestly. And I think, you know, as bands get big, they want to try to play with other people. But a lot of times they'll realize, as Sticks did, you know, some of your parts is better than one. I mean, Dennis had some solo albums and they were very good. And so did Tommy and so did JY. But did they ever reach the success that they had with Sticks? No, absolutely not. I mean, because the like you said, the sum is better than the parts. Right. So I think sometimes you need sense. somebody else telling you, no, you shouldn't release that. You know, we got to add this to it or, you know, you know, you got to You only got yes people to your solo album. You know, sometimes that's not going to work. Oh, I've actually that's absolutely true. We talked a little bit about this before, but with Grand Illusion in 77, they became, I would say, mainstream rock superstars. And then they followed it up with multi-platinum albums. And they had one almost every year until I believe the Kilroy was here, because I don't think that went nearly as... That uh, went double platinum yeah. compared to the other ones were uh, triple platinum, I believe. That was, if I'm not mistaken. But it's still a good seller. Oh, like, yeah, too <laughs> Bands they would kill for double platinum, so I mean, that was a huge hit. You oh know? yeah, and it, it it was like even if it sold a million less, like that's still really good by 1983 right. standards. You know, if you look at how much music had changed from 77 to 83, right? You know they made it right through the disco era. They made it through punk rock, and then all that's going on, and they still new wave is coming. Right? You know, and yet they still sell two million dollar, two million copies of an album in '83, which is neither punk rock or disco or you know. <laughs> no. Well, that's what's kind of unique about their historical place. That's why I was so intrigued to talk to you about Six because they are definitely not disco. They are definitely not new wave. Definitely not punk. And it like they kind of bypassed all that to still be really successful. And I think that's kind of impressive, quite honestly. Like they didn't follow the trends that maybe we remember today, like some of those movements, but they still definitely have songs that are part of the cultural zeitgeist. Like, right. And they had, you know, the costumes and the, you know, the flamboyance. Quickly, a funny story. Speaking of Grand Illusion, when we had Lawrence Gowan on, he was talking about how he was a big fan of Sticks when he was a teenager, like my age. He's probably about my age, you know? And he says, I went to a record store in Canada. He's from Canada. And he said, I saw this album with a really cool cover called Grand Illusion. And I saw this cool guy in the back. There's James, they're like under by trees and stuff, the band. But James White is wearing this all like really white robe, this very, you know, dramatic white robe. And he goes, I look at that guy and said, that's the coolest looking rocker I've ever seen. I got to buy this album. Lawrence got he goes now he's my best friend <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing love it 
Wow. So as the 1980s progressed, Six, like we said, became more grandiose with their music, but they also became more theatrical. And this resulted in their concept album, Kilroy Was Here in 1983. What are your thoughts on that album, Mike? Because I feel like that album kind of affected the band in so many ways. Yeah, like I said, this was totally Dennis's concept. Oh, yeah. Um, Basically, it was about, you know, robotics, future taking over the world and censorship to music and, you know, done in a very gaudy theme. And I saw the stage show and it was a bit gaudy, a bit cheesy, but it was fun. And they put it off and made it a great show. But when they did it in the small theaters, when they tried to take that out to a big stage, you know, I don't think they could pull it off as well. You know, it was, you know, and so they got kind of lambasted for that. And I don't think the rest of the band was into it. Tommy wasn't into it. Tommy said he started really drinking a lot that tour, you know, because he just couldn't take it. It was just not what he wanted to do. You know, it wasn't the rock that he was used to playing with the band, you know. So, and it wasn't maybe as, even the, the fans didn't embrace it as much. I still think it's a great album. I I, I like Mr. Roboto. You know, I think that's a great song and it's lived on in commercials and everything else. I love that song when I was a kid. I would sing it, Ari Arigato, Mr. Roboto, come on. No, it's a, it's such a catchy song. And that's like I maybe I'll go back to my first question, my first answer. I think I remember Mr. Roboto, and it was just it's such a infectious song. I don't know. I have a like a, a soft spot for the robots. So I think it was cool. Now they had to, so it sticks for years after, you know, they got Lawrence Gowan for Dennis. They left, they had to break up with Dennis. They refused to play Mr. Roboto. They refused to play anything from Kilroy Was Here because it wasn't, they didn't feel like an album that they embraced. But then they kept getting fan requests and these poll things were done, let people wanting to hear Mr. Roboto. And two years ago, it got back in their set now. Oh, thank God. Mr. Roboto mm-hmm. is restored. Yeah. Dennis loved that. Dennis walked all over. Dennis was just, you know, oh, see my old band. And, you know, they, the fans know the good songs. And, you know, he was like, because <laughs> he plays it. Now I've, I've seen, I saw Dennis DeYoung play solo two years ago. It was the first time. And it was in a small a theater again in Naperville. And I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't seen Dennis in years, you know, and I'd seen Sticks, and they were amazing with Lawrence Gowan. You know, Dennis blew me away. But Jeremy and I went, we had won tickets. We went to this theater, you know, probably see maybe 800,000 people in Naperville at North Central College. Beautiful old theater. Dennis came out with a band. He's got guitarists that kind of look like Tommy and JY, but awesome guitars, great band. He can sing. He still plays keyboards like mad. He's 70, he was 72. I think he's 74 now, 76. He is amazing. His voice is as robust as ever. It was an amazing show. And he did play Mr. Roboto. <laughs> oh, thank God. I would be sad if Dennis played and there was no Mr. Roboto. Yeah, no, he played. He played everything. He played Babe, which they don't play, but he played Babe. And um, it was fantastic. He is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated singers of rock and roll. I think oh, his voice, you hear him solo and his voice you know, at this age still sounds, he hits the high notes amazingly well wow. he's like in his 70s i know he doesn't move around a lot as much he lets it around the band do that and he has a very rocky roll band you know but yeah. he you know but he gets he got his keyboard there and he just rips in that 
and his wife sings background vocals and, you know, but they sound fantastic. And he's released two solo albums during the pandemic. Um, and they're fantastic albums too. He says he's done. The last one was like, they were part one and part two. I think he'll do more, but these albums are, they sound like you're going back in time to sticks. Wow. That's that's so great. I, uh, I didn't even know about the pandemic albums that he did. So that's something to check out. The one that, the last one that came out was, uh, so they're both called 26 each volume one and volume two. This was volume two. And he kind of used the old Beatles cover, like the Beatles meet the Beatles cover. There's a kind of a play. Is that what he looks like now, Mike? Yes. He looks very young for. Yeah. He's got like white hair, but he looks very, he looks great. He sounds great. Um, and he, you know, he's as energetic as it was. And I'm really torn because I like both. I like his solo work and his solo band. And I love the sticks with Lawrence Gowan. And I don't think the Eagles will ever bring them together. We'll talk about that maybe. I just think the reunion will ever happen. And maybe it's a good thing because I don't think Tommy Shaw said, you know what? They've hit a realization. We don't get along. So if you're going to do a massive tour for months on end, why do you want to work with somebody that you just aren't going to get along with on both sides? Yeah. I mean, at um, their age right now, why do I get, why be as stressed out if you're just enjoying it for the music, but you know, it's kind of bittersweet if you think about it, because like they're all still alive for the most part. So it's not like they, they like, they could do it, but could they really like get Dennis along? would love it. Dennis would love it, but they're not, I, like this is uh, something that I'm so dying to talk about in a bit, but I got to talk about the uh, 90s period of Sticks because I think this is kind of one of the most interesting times of the band because they had the album Edge of the Century in 1990 mm-hmm. that featured four of the five members of the quote unquote golden era or golden era. I'm referring to as like the peak of their popularity in like the mid 70s to like the early 80s they had the uh, t- number three pop hit show me the way what are your thoughts on that album mike and do you think that this could be seen as maybe like a last hurrah for the band i think so but i so i listened to this album today because i haven't listened in a while i'm like i can throw this on while i was driving and show me the way is pure dennis ballad oh, you yeah. know it's harmonies is everything it was the all albums released right around the same time as Desert Storm started, Operation Desert Storm of the War, and you know, and they were using that as a like at the Super Bowl they did a tribute to the troops and they played Show Me the Way as a kind of a you know song with it. So you know, I think it helped the popularity of the song, which is great. The rest of the album is okay. Uh, Glenn Burtnick fills in for Tommy Shaw, and he sings and co-writes songs. It's very late 80s, early 90s. It's an album of its time because the other tracks are very almost, and I really don't mean this in a negative way because they're actually really good, but they're very almost like Bon Jovi-ish or they're very Bon Jovi type or harder rock at that time. They were using their, like they were trying to do some of the hair metal pop things in there, I think to try to, you know, be relevant. A lot of things that at the same time, Tommy Shaw was doing with Damn Yankees. You know, very much that same type of rock. And so they brought Glenn into filling because Tommy was doing Damn Yankees. And so it's not a bad album. I just don't think it has a lot of songs that stick with you. They're good. You know, I, what are your thoughts? 
it's funny because I listened to that the other day and I thought to myself, you could tell when Tommy Shaw leaves the band because he was yeah. kind of the glue that kind of held sticks together, at least from when he entered until Kilroy was here, at least in my opinion. Like, because sometimes you like when you're listening to an album and someone who's very detrimental to the band's sound, like the lead guitarist or the singer, whoever it is, and something was missing. And that's how I kind of felt. Yeah, the stick sound wasn't there. It was a different sound and it wasn't a bad sound, but it just wasn't that sticks combination that you now you the newer albums sound more like sticks than that album does. I think it partly like you mentioned a good comparison, like Bon Jovi. It seemed like kind of like that kind of era, like kind of like a lighter version. I don't know. It just yeah. didn't. There's have some that synthesizer, same synth kind of very 80s. A lot of it sounds like the harder rock of Bon Jovi, like Layer right. or, you know, Bad Medicine. It could have fit. A, some of those songs could have fit on New Jersey, the Bon Jovi album. Some of the Glenn Burtnick songs. Anywhere, and that's Glenn Burtnick is a great musician. And, it, you know, he still plays with them now. And then it just wasn't Tommy. It just wasn't that that sound that we're used to. Yeah. And he was with uh, Ted Nugent. Um, and, and Brad Gillis. And yeah. Jack Blades, I think. Jack Blades, I'm sorry. We have Jeff Gregg, Jack Blades. Because that was, I think, Night, Night Ranger, Ranger, right? Night Ranger, yeah. So they, when Night Ranger kind of broke up in the late 80s, then yeah. uh, Jack Blades formed with Ted and Tommy, and they did the, which was, they had a couple of good, I like, kind of like their music. Jack's a great singer with Tommy, and I think they had a great, you know, combination. Again, that pop rock of Tommy stuff comes through. So, um, but I just think that, it, it's not. It, it, I guess you could call it a last hurrah. To me, I think their biggest last hurrah of the '90s, and I don't know if you're familiar with this. So they released a greatest. Their, their songs started getting up on the radio. Kilroy was here. Had commercials and stuff like that. So they recorded in the '90s. They released wanted to release a greatest hits album. Mm -hmm. I think it was really like '95. But Wooden Nickel would not release the rights for Lady for the album. Right. So they re-recorded, they got, they reformed, got together again, everybody, the core band. And it was right when John Panazzo was in real ill health, but he came and played. And if you go to that greatest hits album, that version of Lady is amazing. It's a little, it's the same song and it sounds, but the chorus is, I love the version of that. I just think it's more maybe technology technically better sonically than it was from would the original recording. Um, and you can tell it's just slightly different, but I love that version. It's on their greatest hits volume one. I think it's called lady 95. If I'm not mistaken, Yeah, they did it lady 95. Right. And it, it's fantastic that that's a great greatest hits CD that, you know, back then before, you know, everybody I buy think my dad has that on CD, the greatest yeah. hits. Cause yeah, it's, it's the really one with the good. blue, right? Like it's like yes. kind of like the blue and, the white and black. Yeah, he has that. That's funny. But I think what the 90s era also said to me, Mike, is that they had a top three hit with Show Me The Way. And even if it's kind of lesser version of Sticks or maybe a lighter version or or maybe not the Glory Days, they still had hits in three decades. They had hits in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I hate to say it, I can't think of a lot of bands that can have that sustainability even though the hit was 1990 granted it's still 100 percent counts it went into 91 and it was again just like in the 80s that's a pure stick song show me the way pure oh, stick yeah. ballad along with babe and lady and you know the best of times very much in that 
Don't Let It End from Kill Rock, very much in that genre. And what other bands around were, were getting top number three songs or whatever with songs like that? I mean, that's when, you know, hair metal was ending, grunge was coming in, yet Styx gets a, a top 10 hit with that song. Yeah, that's you definitely know? that's definitely true. I mean, it, it just shows how they ha- were around for nearly at that point, almost 17 years, which that's a decade over a decade and a half of success, like from lady to like the original lady, like the 74 right. to show me the way in 90. That, I think that's very impressive, quite honestly. Well, and they released in, I believe it was 2017 or 18, the mission, which went to like number one in, you know, against a different way. They judge albums, not how they record it. It was like number one top rock album for like three or four weeks Wow. You know, and then they released this one, Crash of the Crown, which also did really well, you know, in number of downloads and stuff. So there's fans that are still buying their radio. Not play, these albums aren't going to be played on the radio anymore, but they are playing some of these new songs in their set list. That's so true. That's that's really cool that they could still have that success. And the fans embrace it. Yeah. And I think that at the end of the day, I think what I like about Sticks other classic rock bands of this era that are still around is that they're very loyal to their fans and they kind of, they, they still buy the albums and see them in concert when they can. I just think that that's that loyalty and dedication, I think is very um, admirable for other bands to have that. Yeah. A few years ago they did uh, performed um, before the pandemic, they were performing Grand one night they performed Grand Illusion and Pieces of Eight from beginning to end for the whole show. Oh, in its entirety? Yes. Oh crap, that's cool. They sold shirts and showed both kids, you know, and the young kids are headed shirts with the albums on it, you know, and stuff. And then they of course they played a few other hits, other hits at the end, but they really they went through those both albums from beginning to end because they felt like that's their classic rock sound. Wow, that's so awesome. Now, I did want to talk about Tommy Shaw re-entering the sticks picture. Was it like 1995 or yeah, so? Yeah, when they redid the um, Lady. the Lady 95 for the greatest hits. And then they kind of went on tour. And then, so, oh, something I did want to point out really quick is, didn't uh, Dennis do like theater too? Like he did like he did the Hunchback in Notre Dame, which he's doing again recently. But yeah, he's doing Hunch. He did like the Hunchback in Notre Dame. Like, and I want to say it was done like, if it wasn't in England, it was, it was done in, in New York. He was traveling a lot with that. And I believe there was some basically like exhaustion he got from that. Right. And he couldn't perform. And I think, and I'm not sure all the details on it, but from what I can decipher is he kind of made that a priority instead of sticks and then got exhausted from trying to do both and said, I can't tour and didn't want to tour. They wanted to keep going. They had, they had their Return to Paradise live album in 97, I think. And they wanted to come out and tour. He wasn't ready. So they, I think at this point, they said, we're done. You know, whatever that friction had built up again. And they got Lawrence Gowan and they went on their own. Yeah. And I think their last album together was 1989's Brave New World. Right. Right, that's and, right. Brave the world, yes, that's right. And, and then I think he left, or well, that's a whole topic of conversation. But I guess, how would you characterize it, Mike? Was he dismissed from Sticks, or was he fired, or he left on his own accord? How would you I, say? I it? look at it as they said, "We're going to move on. 
without you. I kind of like dismissed in a way, you know, we're done. We're, we're, we're going to go on. If you can't perform, we're going to go on without you. And, and I probably had to be more, there were maybe more tensions building up than just him just getting sick or being exhaustion or whatever. There had to be some tensions rebuilding up again. And they just said they were, whatever that friction is, they weren't ready to deal with it anymore. And they got a guy, people, you know, don't a lot of you know casual fans don't know about Lawrence Gowan, but Lawrence Gowan is a major star in Canada. He's like Bon Jovi in Canada. I mean, like he was a huge star in the 90s with his band Gowan, you know, a major hit maker, vocalist, keyboardist in Canada. He's not wasn't known in the United States, but he was a huge star there. Yeah, that's something that I didn't know until researching because I Honestly, I never heard of him, but I was like, oh, wow, he's like a huge deal over there. And he was never in the United States, you know, and I, they knew him through some channel of playing together or whatever. And he fit. I think he fit perfectly in there. OK, I think he can do the Dennis vocals beautifully. A little bit on this, not, not Dennis, but it's pretty darn close. He's an amazing keyboard player like Dennis. He even does, if you see him live, he does this part where they're changing stage and he does like a classical, like a three-minute classical piece. He's just amazing on the keyboard. And he's flamboyant like Dennis. You know, he's a very outgoing performer. You know, uh, a true nice guy. Again, I know there's fans that like both. I kind of like both. There are fans that take one side or the other. I don't do that. I see that they both can provide great music separately and maybe better than they could together because I, I don't think they want the friction. Can I ask you a question, Mike? Because I'm like so curious now. Is there like a rivalry between like the Dynasty Young and the Sticks? Is it like I've just tried to imagine the divide or the? Uh... Well, there was. I think it's still yeah. There's still a divide. Well, they got into here's here's an example. He recently, Sticks was inducted into the Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They just started opened this up about three four years ago. Okay, and it's a grassroots thing, but it's become a big thing. They everybody from Kevin Cronin to Jim Peter to all these the Buckinghams, all these stars. So this year was the second annual inauguration. They had a big theater in Joliet called the Rialto, which they've all had played before. And Styx was getting in, and Dennis DeYoung. Now, Dennis DeYoung is also doing Notre uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame. He was supposed to be there to perform. He was walking across the street during one of his breaks in Milwaukee where he was doing the hunchback, tripped and broke his arm uh-huh. and he had to do a video. He did a video from the thing. But Sticks were playing. I saw them the night before this thing because really thought Dennis was going to be, they, were, they refused to come on together with Dennis. They did, they did not. They, they, they presented them their, when I went to see the concert. The Illinois Rifle presented Sticks their award during a concert. They were not about to be in the same place as Dennis, even though he couldn't make it anyway now. he They were not going to p- perform with Dennis. So I don't know what that is, you know, because they literally were in a sh- Chicago that night before, literally 20 miles from the amphitheater. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be critical of Sticks. Or anything. You think to get this major award, you could have found a way to be there. But it was something with Dennis because Dennis was also getting recognized separately as a solo artist. And I just think, you know, and he made a comment during his video, video 
acceptance of the award because he had his arm in a sling and he says he always calls his group that he calls him and his the band of core band members the three stooges we're the three stooges we're all we were good friends we we're like the three stooges and he says well he says mo wanted to do this and wanted curly and larry to be there but they just didn't want to come he said that during his speech. Dennis is very talkative, and he'll just say what's on his mind. You know? I love him though in interviews because <laughs> oh, I do. He talked for like forty minutes on his acceptance speech, and he did. He was very good. But you know what? It's entertaining, but it's also like he spills the the wine, or he spit. He spills. He, he'll just say no, whatever. No filter. No, he does zero he filter. And he yeah. let it, and, and I'm always a fan of that because you always get the best stories, but also you find out like, oh, he didn't like this person, or he didn't really like that album or song, and I don't yeah. know. He's and he's, I think the band is very touchy about they don't do. I I know their rep because that's how I got Lawrence Gowan, and she's gotten other ones. Tommy and JY don't do interviews. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I noticed that there really weren't too many. You know, because when they st- last year when they were touring after the right. pandemic, they I had gotten uh, she had got me somebody from Foghead, she got me Mark Farner from Grand Funk, this rep. And you I got said, an amazing oh. bunch of people recently. Yeah, she was great. And she I said, Oh, you represent Sticks, you know. And she said, Yeah, I said, I'd love to talk to Sticks, any of the members of Sticks, you know, about their because they just released Crash of the Crown. Mm-hmm. And then she anyway, she says, um, oh, Lawrence Gowan would love to talk to you. Which and and I you know and I know another friend of ours just recently got Lawrence Gowan. So I think Lawrence Gowan now is the person they send out to talk. They will tell you in there, which I would never say anyway. Please do not bring up any future, ask any future re- reunions with Dennis DeYoung. Which I would never do that because I like I respect Lawrence and I think he's an integral part of the band. He's been with him twenty some years now, and I would never say that to him because I think you know it's he's a great part of that band now. Right. The only thing I could really find from Tommy Shaw that I think relates to the reunion question is in Rolling Stone about 10 years ago, he said uh, they asked him about a reunion. Because I fear that's like every chance that an interviewer can ask from from a major publication like Rolling Stone or something. Like I feel like that's almost like we did an episode Cold in the Gang and like they asked uh ronald every time about the rock and roll hall of fame like why are you not in or what do you think and like wh- like what is he supposed to say almost right and right. i just love the quote that he says about the reunion he says we're crazy but we're not insane <laughs> because i feel like that's kind of sums it up perfectly because i doubt they ever get back together with dennis like i just i can't imagine it with all the bad blood but at the same time there's so many bands that hate each other that got together at or, or back together for a tour or, or an album or whatever it may be. So I figure like there might be some glimmer of hope, but like, I think, I don't know. Do you think that one will ever happen, Mike? I, the only thing I think would ever may bring it to happen. I thought it would happen at the Illinois one, but it didn't. I think if they get inducted to the rock and roll hall of fame, yes. they kind of would have to, because if they get inducted, and this is no slight on Lawrence, but it has to be for the band that recorded the albums we spoke about. The classic legendary area from Grand Illusion to Kilroy was here, right. which would include everybody, the Panazos. It would include, you know, um, J.Y., Tommy and Dennis. Right. 
I don't think any of the other auxiliary members that have come on, Tom Zuckerman, Ricky Phillips, could be part of it. They're continuing on as sticks, but I mean, and they've got some great albums. Like I tell you, these last two albums are superior albums, but they're not the legendary sticks that would have got them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I think if they get inducted, they'd have to, I think Lawrence, they would probably would not, they wouldn't put Lawrence in. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be, but I'm guessing they probably wouldn't the way I know the rock and roll hall of fame works. So you probably know more than me. Maybe if they did, they would perform because they kind of would have to perform with Dennis. I feel like that's the correct answer because to me, that's the only slight chance I could see them. And they do it one night. Now, of course, look at, um, John Fogarty didn't play with CCR. Well, that's what I was going to say, too. There's certain examples of bands that got inducted, like Blondie's the perfect example, too, oh, yes. and CCR and others that happened, but I can't think of any other stuff. Again, but like they couldn't put it, the bad blood aside for one night. So I don't know. Like I would be more entertained to hear Dennis Day Young acceptance speech like that would be crazy and you know like so like with the rock hall because i've been to ceremonies like the last years i think they're so stingy on time even at the ceremony like they're pretty like there's a certain like order and you know like he would just go on and on and then they would probably have to do like the wrap up or something but i would prefer that almost than the performance well, it'd be, it would be very entertaining i don't see tommy and jy just doing more of them just thank you and you know going on i don't they're not vocal people that really you know dennis has always been that person that's going to tell you everything like and, the you spokesman know. almost yeah he is a spokesman because and i know there was you're talking about bad blood between them and i don't know if you know the story of when because tommy shaw hated that song babe but he always you know that's not what we were about that was dennis taking you know so when he would play with the when they first started playing with the damn yankees Mm -hmm. they would start by they would come on stage right before they came on stage they started playing the opening soundtrack to babe and then tommy would walk out and say we're not playing that song and then ted would rip into the guitar and i guess it really offended dennis and i guess one time wherever they were at they end up, the elevator opens up and there's Tommy in the elevator and there's Dennis. And they kind of said, he's like, do you really have to do that? And Tommy said, you know what, we'll stop. I'm sorry. Like they came to an agreement that, okay, bury the hatchet and let's go on. That as far as that part. Yeah, that was in the early 90s. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest, Mike. I hate when bands are like that, like, oh, I'm never going to play babe. It's like, play it for the fans. It's not for yourself. Like, The Eagles, I love the Eagles, by the way. I like have grown up with them and whatever. As much of assholes as they are, the one thing I will say is I always remember Glenn Fry always saying, like, you always do it for the fans. Like, whatever songs, like, like you think we want to hear Desperado for the millionth time? No, we do it because that's what people pay to come to hear is those songs. And they may not ever get the opportunity to hear those songs again in their lifetime. So, I don't know. I'm always a proponent of that. Like, just play the play songs people want to hear. I don't know that Billy Joel wants to play Piano Man every night, but he does. Right. Because there's the expectation that he has it. to. Yes. The fans want to see it. Um, I think that, uh, I agree with you. Bands need to play those. I mean, I think the Rolling Stones still play 
satisfaction. They played Jumpin' Jack Flash because Start Me Up because that's what the fans want to hear. They mix in their other songs. I think when you hit this age of a band and you're known for many decades of music and your fans are paying big money to see you, you have to play the songs they want to hear. Absolutely. I I'm a huge proponent of that. I always get like so pissed when they denigrate their own songs or they're like, oh no, we're never playing that. And I'm like, no, like the whole point, they're paying to see you sing that song or at least this, these slew of songs. So I don't know. I am uh, very salty when it comes to certain artists that do that, but uh, not sticks as much because they did pl- end up playing the hits. They play, they play Mr. Roboto now. The only thing they really don't do that I've heard is Babe, but they play everything else. And they play a variety of songs that all their fans like. And they really treat their fans well. Current band. And so does Dennis. Dennis is an amazing performer. He's, he's, you know, on stage. He's talking to the audience. He's welcoming. You know, both bands do very well with that. Yeah, they definitely uh, do. Something I like to ask every guest when we talk about an artist is, who are some artists that you think were influenced by Sticks? Um, I think a lot of the maybe rock bands that have come since, I think you got to look at like, I think that a lot of the 80s bands, Bon Jovi, you know, some of the 80s hair bands or Motley Crue, they all have, they even Guns N' Roses have this theatrical part, November Rain. I think they all get some influence from Sticks. A funny thing is, and I didn't realize this, how much influence they had in the Chicagoland area and how much their music influenced other artists. There was a radio station in Chicago in the, in the late 70s, early 80s called WXRT. I mean, I'm sorry, WKQX, excuse me, WKQX. And they started for putting out an album of local bands every year. And it was, you know, some kind of, it was Chicago's own. I I've got a copy of it someplace. And it was all local bands with original songs from like 78, 79. And I found a copy recently at a record store for like $2. I hadn't had it in years. And it was called, you know, like, I got to get this to listen to it again. I haven't listened to it in decades. I used to have one when I was a kid. When you put this album on, there was like 10 tracks. Five of them were trying to be sticks. Five of the bands played music. You could tell was influenced by sticks. Mm-hmm. You know, so they influenced a lot of people, even the you know, even the smaller bands. But I think you got to say their rock theatrical sound has carried on to any other band that has done that. I mean, you look at what you know Guns and Roses does with their shows and with you know what they said they did on Use Your Illusion when they went over the top on things. I think that all comes back to what Sticks did with Arena Rock. Absolutely, I think that that's true. I think a band that I always hear. At least, uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but there are two bands I thought of that I feel were influenced by Sticks in different ways. One is Def Leppard because oh, of the yeah. harmonies and the hook-driven pop hits. But yeah. the other one, because they're also from Chicago and they're in the 90s, was the Smashing Pumpkins. I could kind of yeah. see that because for me, Billy Corgan's all about the theatrics. It's all about like the visuals. And I don't know, there's something there i think and i don't know how to articulate it well <laughs> he's similar to dennis it's all about him too <laughs> he's very oh yeah he's a big it's... ego but you're know, very good talent but when you yeah you hear like from uh well what's this uh, album the double album in the nine no the one that with uh 
Oh my gosh, when they had 1979 on it. Um, oh, the um, melancholy, melancholy sadness. Thank you. Um, people are throwing things at me on the screen. They're going to be throwing things. At we the don't radio. condone violence in this uh, podcast. Right? Yeah, there you go. So yeah, so be nice. I wasn't thinking that, but um, that's very theatrical. The tonight, tonight, you know, with a big orchestra. I think you're dead on there. But I think the song like Renegade, that's that's the song that made me think of the Smashing Pumpkins, because even like a song like Tonight Tonight, if you think about those two songs or 1979, they kind of have like slow builds that kind of lead up to the moment like in Renegade where it just takes off. And then you it just stays like that for the next like four minutes. And you're just like, what the heck is this? Honestly, it's like amazing. Music has. You know, I think it went away for a while with some of the stripped down grunge, yeah. but I think that, that it always comes back. People hear those songs because they're ingrained into the, the world. I mean, those music is a big part of, you know, the, they got played in the 80s, they got played in the 70s, it still gets played in the 90s. Yeah, it definitely uh, does. I, I I think that's part of why their music is so, maybe not well regarded by critics, but they definitely have that that cultural like ubiquity and like their songs keep popping up. Like you said, at the beginning, they, they yes. like, they still get uh, airplay. They still get parodied and people still remember them. You know, even the Mr. Roboto, like at all the theatrical excessiveness, that music video, which I think I was way too young when I watched, by the way, I think it was like four or five. And I think <laughs> it scared the bejesus out of me, quite honestly, Mike, because I was like, what the hell is this? Because, you know, the music video is kind of bonkers in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like good bonkers. But I don't know. Yeah, they got something that people keep going back to. And I think those are the kinds of artists that we like to spotlight here on Rock and Retrospect. I mean, they did music videos, sticks of music before like MTV. Because if you look too much time in my hands, MTV had not come out yet. But you hear it's kind of corny video. Have you seen that with oh, Doug? Yes. Yeah, but uh, Jimmy Fallon did a spoof on it years ago about it. But it would, that was. Nobody else had done videos like that were, were like story videos. Very few story videos before MTV came out and took over the world. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that that's part of their legacy is that they were kind of at the forefront of what music videos would become. Because you're right. They did have those storytelling elements that because if you think about early MTV for a minute, this isn't to denigrate artists because I like some of them, but like even like Rod Stewart, it would just be a concert. It was nothing more than just him playing a show. These were attempting to at least tell stories, like complex stories. And, the, yeah, and like we did an episode on Duran Duran. It's like that's part of their legacies that they they did stuff like that. Yeah, it it did it, it grew and grew. Um Mike Reno from Loverboy, when I had him on, had some great stories about them doing the videos and all the things they made them do. And, you know, they're standing on hot burning barrels and all the stuff that's kept them bigger and bigger. But if you look at that too much time in my hands, it's very a storyline. Again, was it filmed the greatest? No, but it's also 1980, you know, but it was fun. And it's, a you know, but they kind of, that's a something that wasn't done then. You're absolutely right. I think that it's kind of, like they were at the vanguard of revolution that would really dominate the rest of the eighties and the nineties almost really. So Mike, we're going to transition to talk about probably the most intriguing question of the day. And that is uh, if you were to make a mixtape of five to six essential songs, 
Okay. What would you choose? So I think, you know, Lady is is a great song. I think it had to be included. You know, of course, Come Sail Away, Too Much Time in My Hands. Okay. But then I want to also, so those would be the three that I think you kind of have to say right away that you always include in there. And I would have to say Blue Collar Man. To me, Blue Collar Man is a favorite of mine. I love the organ. I love the guitar. And I love Tommy's vocals. I grew up in a blue collar town of Joliet, Illinois. So yeah, you know, a lot to identify with. But then I like some of the deep tracks. Like, as I said before, Equinox has got a great song by J.Y. I mean, I think then we're going to get to the, the J.Y. songs, which I think are kind of overlooked a lot of times, but they're fantastic. Um, I think that Midnight Run from uh, Equinox is a great rocker. And I think Snowblind from Paradise Theater, which I'm sure was definitely a ode to cocaine abuse. But those are he's got some really with his deep voice and, you know. I love his songs. And I think they're a part of this, you know, and Miss America, I guess you could throw the other one, but but I will just go with Snowblind and Midnight Run because they don't get mentioned as often. But I think you got to, I have to mix the hit songs with the deep tracks. But that's where I would land. Now, I could go on for days with other ones, but I think those are ones that I think you have to include in everybody's. That's actually my follow up question. If you were to, if someone said to you, I really like those six songs, Mike, give me some more. What are some like deeper tracks that you would recommend? Well, I think I go to a few more here. I want Lorelei. Oh, I know what I like. I really like from a cornerstone, Bower, nah, it leads off side two of the cornerstone, uh, Borrowed Time. And I, I like how he says, because again, this was released in 79. It's something about, you know, as he's beginning the beginning of it, Dennis, he's like, watch out, here comes the 80s. <laughs> you know, and it's just such a, but that's a great rocker. Boat on a River from Mid Album is also a really good Tommy song. Those would be the next three. Perfect. Uh, those are some really awesome uh, tracks for a Bix tape. I'll add a few because I like to. Yeah, so near yours. I would have to pick Renegade because that song mm-hmm. is a banger. And it's one of those songs where if it's a perfect driving song. If it's on the radio, you can't change it. It turns all the way up and you have the windows down. It's incredible. So Renegade, absolutely. And then, of course, because my mom likes this song, I got to pick Babe. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what Tommy Shaw thinks. Even though no, Tommy, I think it's a great song. I hope you're listening to Tommy, but also, like, <laughs> uh, I really, I, it's a it's a beautiful song. I will give them that, honestly. I believe it's their only number one hit. I think that's true, if I'm not mistaken. Not mistaken. I know it's their first number one hit, but I believe it's their only number one hit. I think so. And then a song that I knew from them was The Best of Times. Mm-hmm. And probably, if I had to pick another one, probably The Grand Illusion. That was another one I knew before doing this episode. So those would probably be the songs that I would choose from. No, they're, those are good choices. Um, and I think Babe, if you, what I really like about Babe now is, you know, Dennis wrote it for his wife as not really even a, supposed to be a recorded song. But he's been married for like what five decades to one woman, and you get a lot. I mean, you know, he's very devoted, and you know, in the rock and roll lifestyle, there's not man that doesn't happen very often. And she comes out now and sings with him on stage. She's got an amazing voice. She does background vocals with the band, and she's you know his age, you know, and she sounds fantastic and looks fantastic too. So I, it's a great song. That's yeah, that's awesome. I don't know how like they 
can look so young and sound so good at their age. I'm at my age right now, and I'm thinking, like, I don't think I could belt out the tunes, like, even if I could try, like, those two. I don't know. It's amazing how a lot of artists today, older artists, still are performing at a high level. I'm just always amazed when people are in their, like, 70s and they could still belt it out. It's just... It's just well, look at Tommy so Shaw. Looks like he still looks like he's thirty, but he's seventy. I think nine or seventy now. You know, he's got the long blonde hair, but he looks fantastic. I know, you know? it's amazing. Like I don't know, I it, it amazes me quite honestly. Yeah, and they still have that rock and roll thing going. Yeah, that's that's true. So let's move on to talk about some awards that Sticks have won over the years. This is a band that I'll be honest, Mike, I thought they won way more awards than they did. They were only nominated for one Grammy, and that was for best rock performance by a duo or group. And I believe that was for Cornerstone. Yeah, they only have one Grammy nomination. It was for that album. And then, like you said, they were inducted into the Illinois Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it's kind of a Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the grassroots idea of it started about four or five years ago. And there's a group of people that have put funding into this. They're actually building in Joliet, Illinois, a full rock and roll hall of fame. It's not done yet, but they started having the first inauguration, second inauguration of bands. And it's a really nice ceremony, a beautiful little concert they put on and everything. So they got inducted to that, but you know, again, it goes back to, and it's amazing that back even, you know, in the, 70s you know they're releasing these great huge hit albums but you never heard their name mentioned even at american music awards or grammy awards everything was focused on pop disco those things seemed to you know uh we could probably go on for days i could tell you you know like how (laughs) the band taste of honey in 79 won best new group over the cars they had this on and elvis costello and elvis costello (laughs) i mean so and yet sticks was not even in the even in the, the conversation for all those years. And to me, as popular and as great as pieces of eight and Grand Illusion and Cornerstone and Paradise Theater, they should have walked away with all of it. Yeah, it seems like there's like critical snobbery and cur- yeah. really award snobbery because you're right, like even the American Music Awards, which not to denigrate this award show, you could easily get wins. And nominations, even if you were critically deride and not well liked. And it just seems weird because that's almost all based on commercial success. I don't know. It just seems like so weird to me that they had none of those either. Or even like a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like that to me, at the bare minimum, is kind of shocking in its own right. Like they don't even right. have that. No. And I mean, that's what I, and we get you know, with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now yeah. that, some of the borders are coming down. The barriers are coming down. Bon Jovi's getting in. Okay. And I understand it. Why? I mean, he's got a huge fan base that are very loyal. It's a genre of rock. It's anthemic. It's rock anthems. He does a great way to hooking and recording these and writing these great anthems. But what is he playing off? Really? What is his diehard fans? They're playing off of Slippery When and Wet and New Jersey. Really, you look at okay. Here's the landmark albums he had that you know his fans remember. Maybe the other one with the raise your hands, you know. But I mean, really, those are the two albums. Yet Sticks isn't in, and Sticks had Grand Illusion, Pieces of Eight, Cornerstone, 
Paradise Theater, you know, five albums in a row that sold 14, 16 million copies, probably 12, 14 hit singles, not including Lady, Lorelei, et cetera. And these songs are living forever and ever. And they're still playing to mass crowds 50 years later. Why isn't Sticks in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? That's that, that's my argument right there. That is actually, you're like a mind reader, Mike, because <laughs> that leads to my next question, which is like the main event for this whole recording. Uh, Sticks were first eligible to receive induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998. They've never been nominated. How would you present your case, Mike, if you were in the room and saying Six has to get in in 2023? It's rock and roll. Now, maybe back then, you know, we didn't look at it. They didn't look at it the same. But this music has lived with us. These are not just obscure albums. These are albums that touched people all over the world. They're Great albums from not only hit songs, but deep tracks. And not only are they very good albums, they sold nobody, not even my band, the Rolling Stones, has had four consecutive triple platinum albums. You know, this is a band that has success and it isn't like they had success and people forgot about them or they don't care about them anymore. Their music isn't relevant anymore. It's relevant because people, they still sell out places all over the world. So yeah, yeah that's my argument. And again, and again, Def Leppard got in. I love Def Leppard. Okay. What did Def Leppard had really pyromania and hysteria are really what people are, you know, there's two big albums that people go to. Right. Right. Sticks probably has six. You know what I'm saying? You know? So again, I agree that they, all those bands should be in, but it's a shame to not put, to put Def Leppard in, but not put sticks. Because again, that's arena rock. Both are arena rock. One's from the '80s, one from the '70s. You know, and I could you make also make the case for Foreigner and Ario Speedwagon. Yeah, we definitely made a case, me and Dave, on uh, Foreigner. Uh, like, uh, definitely. Which, I mean, like, that's a band I'm weirdly passionate about. I can't explain why, but I feel like it. it like, there's no reason they shouldn't be in like Foreigner. Like, I'm just like if, and I don't want to like great anyone who's in per se but like if certain people are in they had way better songs than x y and z who are in the hall of fame i don't know like i get yeah, like I, very well, that's what i'm saying there are some things in there that are like how come you know and uh, foreigner i mean you, you had their debut album double vision head games foreigner four you know again they had a run of five or six big top 10 albums sold millions of everything went platinum or double platinum sometimes triple platinum five or six in a row, 10, 12 hits that are still getting played today. They're still playing, you know, concerts. They don't really want the same lineup. It's a little different story, but I mean, people know their songs. People know waiting for a girl like you. They know cold as ice. My kids know cold as ice right off the top of the bed. They know it feels like the first time, you know, again, if you're going to put an artist that had maybe two huge albums and still has a big fan base in the rock and roll hall of fame, let's not forget about the ones from the, did in the late 70s well something that helps sticks in my opinion is that they have i would say almost double digit number of songs that are pretty famous and i think mm-hmm. any band i write about this stuff a lot and i talk a lot about this but i always think you can never count out an artist or band who has at least half a dozen well-known songs no matter what because Correct. you have that ubiquity and you have that success like 
there's just no way you could ever write someone off that easily for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Does Sticks reinvent the wheel? No, not really. If you think about like how their influence on rock and roll, but it's a rock and roll hall of fame with a capital F. And I think people forget that sometimes is that you need to somewhat be famous to enter the rock and roll of fame. Sure. You could have like your Patty Smith's and your velvet undergrounds right. and your Leonard Cohen's and that's perfectly fine. And they all definitely should be in there, but it's really hard for some of those artists when they really didn't have commercial success and a band like sticks. And I didn't really look this up and you probably know the number, but they've had to sell at least, I would say, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 million albums. It has to be at least that. Oh, yeah. Just, just on continuing sales. Once they got popular, their early albums started selling and they said they still sell today. So, I mean, that's the thing. Um, you know, they re released, you know, new vinyl, a grand revolution, and people buy it. I mean, and I mean, I don't think every arena rock band should get in. I don't think, and this is just a personal thing, I'm probably going to people at me, but. Kansas is a great band, but Kansas had one or two you know, people say Kansas. Well, Kansas had, you know, point and overturn and they had dust in the wind and they had, you know, things like that. Uh, carry on my wayward son, but they didn't have that continuous one album after the other that was successful with basically the same lineup. I agree on Kansas. That's one band that it leans very heavy on Prague too. Like you forget that because they're some of their big hits, like point and even point and overturn and, Dust in the Wind and Carry On We Were Time, like they are very prog rock too, and like hard rock that I never realized. But that is a band I agree probably shouldn't necessarily get in. Right. But like, I think there is a case for Sticks. And something that I was going to point out, Mike, that really helps Sticks, I think. I don't know if you're aware of this. They have at the museum in Cleveland, they have the uh, kiosks that fans can vote for if they have their bracelet. I and you did. So when I went last year, of course, I went like three times because I went with different friends and stuff. And of course, you know, I voted for the Pointer Sisters. Of course. <laughs> I took pictures of this, uh, the B-52s and Gloria Estefan. Those were who I voted for because I love all three of those artists for different reasons. But Styx has always been in the top 10. And I think since they started doing the last four years, I think Six has been in the top five most of the time. They're always like number four, number five, number six. I think they have to be sooner or later be recognized because there's still an entity that people know. You know, when I wore this shirt, so I wear this shirt a lot because I got it. It's just sticks, Ario. And people go say, Oh, I saw it. sticks. Oh, they're, they're awesome. People walk up to you at concerts when I'm wearing it, you know, sticks right. rocks, you know. And so, and a lot of people had been to the other, I actually, this is kind of a funny story. My wife is a huge, she's younger than me and she's a huge new kids in the block fan. And we went to see new kids in the block. I went when in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, where my son goes to college, we drove up there. But anyway, I'm wearing this shirt though. I'm wearing this shirt to the concert. You and many people of all ages, young and old, keep up and said, oh, we saw them last, last month in Michigan, sticks rocked, you know, at the new kids in the block concert. So all ages. By the way, I loved your post because it's so not you. <laughs> like for everything that you post, like I'm going to see Brian Wilson or I'm going to see Chicago or whoever. And then <laughs> you had the 90s uh, concert and I just, I it, it was hilarious. I had no choice but to love it because I was like, I, 
it's just it's too it's it's just too amazing, honestly. But I think it really has helped me want to do other things. So you know, my wife said they want to go see this '90s thing. Yeah, I want to go see it. I want to go see Tone Loke. I want to go see. You know, it was fun just to go and see other music, and I try to make an effort to do that this year. Was yeah. that concert good, by the way? It was. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. Again, it's kind of a each artist has. So it was Tone Loke, um, Young MC. Um, Coolio, Color Me Bad, and Vanilla Ice, and Rob Bass. I'm not, you know, yeah. Coolio and, and uh, Vanilla Ice were the headliners, you know. Yeah, I would think. they each all really only have two songs, okay? That's it. Most, most of so what they would come out, they would kind of play it, but it was a big party, it was for fun. I mean, they, they sing that they have, they don't have a live band, they have backing tracks, but they all rap. You know, we're saying, but they would get the audience going and they would put snippets of classic rock songs and 80 songs and be already dancing. And they would kind of extend, hey, we're going to have a party. Who's in the house? Every, you know, to get their two songs in and each one would take like a half hour, 20 minutes, you know, and but they would make it fun. And then, you know, uh, Vanilla Ice released. Vanilla Ice even did uh, the Ninja rap. Go Ninja, go. You know, he like that was his song. And his, he played that. And of course, you know, uh, Ice Ice Baby. But he spread it out to about 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. I kind of the 90s and getting the crowd going. And then, you know, so, I mean, it was a fun event. Was it musical history or was it musical, you know, greatness? Maybe not, but it was a blast. That's what you need that, though, honestly, Mike. You kind oh, of people need- had fun. Oh, my God. The people were having a blast doing it. See, that's all that counts in a way sometimes, at least in my opinion. That sticks has commented on their exclusion from the rock roll fame or their omission and i think part of their answer at least in everything i've seen is that they're not really bitter i just don't think that it's in their peripheral vision per se or i don't think that they really care i think like their answers are always like if it happens it happens right well i think for a lot of bands if you're still selling out shows you have albums that they're releasing that do very well or not you know mainstays but they're you know they sell pretty good your fans are so your fans are still embracing you if they if, if somebody that's you know not going to give you an award you know you got you're, you're getting paid you're making good money you're been successful you know the fans love you okay if i don't get in i don't get in you know i think dennis takes it very personally though i'll be honest i mean dennis would pick oh, you know he's the saltiest of the members in yeah, terms he will of tell you why and he you know and he's true he, he, he writes some great you know he'll go on facebook and make some long posts i'm gonna rant again you know and he's all nice he's not a mean person in his rants but he will tell you like it is oh i live for his rant sometimes mike because as someone who follows it i'm like oh give me some more because i'll be honest six isn't a band that i think of a lot personally speaking but it's kind of hard to write them off so easily as some detractors do with classic rock era bands and i think that's like you said they have that commercial success they have longevity they have the musicianship which is very top-notch they have a lot more going for them and i think sometimes that a label of corporate rock or arena rock i think is detrimental to bands like foreigner or bad company or Boston that, you know, they, these were very big bands of their era. And I think any of them are viable candidates give dependent on who is else is on the ballot in any given year. 
because they're just way too big to ignore. And I always use the example of someone like Hall and Oates, because Hall and Oates is one of those acts like, are Hall and Oates really an albums band? No, they're more of like a singles band, but they have enough songs that people know and love that is what got them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, beyond the fact that they're both really well connected with the right people in terms of like that's a lot of it. They don't that's one thing about stick. Stick still plays at a high level. I've been really mixed, mixed emotion or later stuff. I don't think they really sound that great as well as they they've not continued the great sound. They do they don't perform at quite the high level that I saw the other bands do. That's just my personal opinion. I felt disappointed because I'm like. I went to see him in 2018. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh. Mike, are you saying that they're out of touch? They're a little, yeah, they are. Well, <laughs> see, I had to say it. Well, here's what I have to say about it. A song like uh, I Can't Go For That, No Can Do, is a cute, it's a wonderful pop song, great hooks, great sing-along song that lasts three and a half minutes. They played it for 15 minutes. Oh my God. Like, sax solo, car solo, everything, every song. Sarah Smile went on for like, I swear, 12 minutes. Everything was overplayed. And I'm like, when I come to see, I don't come to see like improvisational. I want to hear hit songs, but they're short to the point. And I don't know what the reason they were stretching them out for. And they did have a good band, but just it was long. And oh. like, you know, you know, again, there's our short pop songs that just hits you. They're fantastic. Then you go on to the next one, you know, but they were dragging everything out and I was really disappointed. Oh, wow. To quote that song, will you go for that, Mike? No can do. Can do. Like, you can't make this. Like, they had like an audience participation for like seven minutes of that song. Like everybody say, you know, I'll say no can do. Can't get over that. Like back and forth. And it was like, oh my God, will this ever end? Again, oh. I'm not a very critical artist. I love watching them. I, you know, but that, that kind of made me sour me like, oh, you know, they are not the same band that I knew, you know, you go see Sticks, they make that sound like their music, they play it to a T and everything is just dead on. And it's, I think, well, Arena Rock has to be that it can't be improvisational. It's got to be, you know, you hear it just like it was made and they do a fantastic job to this day. Do you think part of the theme with Sticks, because we were talking about how they're a great live band. Do you think they're one of those bands, like once you see them, you're converted more? I think so. Yeah, I think there was a lot of people, again, because of their stage presence. REO did a great show. It was Loverboy. When I saw them, Loverboy played first. And they had some great songs. And I love Mike Reno, could still sing. You know, they don't have a big stage show, though. REO had a decent stage show, not as grandiose as Sticks. And people love their stuff. When Sticks went on, by the two or three songs in people were going crazy. They were the headliners. I would they were say. the headliners and people were like, Oh my God, young people were like, this is fantastic. And yeah. Do you, do you think part of it is that like, they've been parodied or like, I, I think of the Jimmy Fallon when he did too much time on my hands. Do you think that's part of like why? Yeah. But it might be people, more popular. Yeah. I think people hear, but they know about him. You know, Mr. Roboto and all the renegades you used in TV shows and movies. I mean, that's, a you know, I think people hear their music. Come Sail Away has been used. And I think their music just lives on. Now, do you think they're ever going to get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I think I think it's going to come soon because I think it's opening up. 
I think you can't you can't not do. It. I'd be really disappointed if they weren't, because I think you with the other artists they're letting in that they need to be in. If you're gonna let other artists, if you're, and it, can, I'm not saying if you're gonna let Journey in. You need to let Sticks in because it, they were neck and neck during those times. That from Infinity through Raised on Radio is about the same time as um, Grand Illusion through um, Kilroy was here. There's about the same number of hits and same number of sales in those albums, same number of sold out shows both were doing, you know, now I know like they can't let everybody in at once. So they pick, you know, I think sticks time is, has to come. They're yeah. tricky. The, the, we'll see how they would, they get together with depths, but that'd be another story. You know, that'd be part of the fun, I guess. They're a tricky one for me because like, they're a band, like I said, like Boston or bad company, and Foreigner, I feel like a lot of those bands are all bubbling underneath, like these ballads. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like part of the thing in the last decade with the Rock Wall of Fame, when they entered really the HBO era 2012, they got way, way populous, like getting a lot of, especially classic rock bands that were really excluded for many years. They finally got them in. So like rush and kiss and deep purple and chicago and journey and cheap trick and dire straits and bon jovi and so on and i think that you can't rule them out ever because i feel like they just got too much in terms of commercial success the only thing that makes me hesitant is that people on the nominating committee tend to be snobbish with some of their right you know, that's but i mean how snobby could they be if Bon Jovi got in? I mean, you know what I'm saying? No offense to Bon Jovi, but he's very much similar. Yeah. It's, yeah. So he, it's, they have Irvin Azoff in their quarter too. Yeah. So like Irvin Azoff's like a manager. So that's how like, in my opinion, the Doobie Brothers got in. That's how yeah. CD Nick Solo got in. That's how he got himself in. <laughs> um, no, but it's like one of those things where I, it's so political. And the thing is, is like with Journey, Steve, Perry's considered an all-time great vocalist by so many uh, publications and so many people. And it's weird that like Dennis DeYoung isn't in that same conversation. Yeah, because he is though, but he's got a, he's a great voice. So it's really weird to me that like, in my opinion, Journey's kind of on the same par of sticks in many ways. Like I just don't know if it's going to happen because of that critical sobriety, because you need someone in that committee room to vouch for that they person. Don't, yeah. And I don't and, know who's going to bring them up. And like, really, their core community or their, who they're ties with are all more Chicago based. Right. You know, they're still with uh, Jim Meter, survivor, or Kevin Crone. And, you know, they're more of the Chicago people. You know, they're still more, their connections are all Chicago based. Yeah. You know, compared, to Hollywood, compared to Hollywood or, you know, I mean, yeah, it just, I don't know. I feel like maybe because they, they've they released new albums, granted sticks, but I don't know. Like, do you think like they might need to do something for to remind people of their like presence yeah, maybe, or. Yeah, maybe they need they need more. Maybe their songs that could be on Netflix. <laughs> they need like Kate Bush with a, a stranger thing. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you no. could get, you know, even one of their deeper songs, you know, I think that. uh Boat on a River, you know, Man in the Wilderness, things like that could be used in certain things that might, you know, have a whole different perspective. If you said took some of their deeper songs, you know, and put them in there, I think it would work, you know. 
I just love the fact that you said that sticks needs to be more like Kate Bush because that just made my night. Quite honestly, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I, seriously. I, I mean, if you get a song like that, yeah, that gets featured, you know, you're set. I mean, that's you look oh, at yeah. she, she made. She, they said she made like two point three million just from downloads, and that's like just from like two months. Yeah, it's like that. That's insane to me because I don't know. I. I it, it, it just it's absolutely crazy but i we did an episode on kate love her to death uh she's uh amazing but i just thought that you said she needs they need to be more like her because oh my god now i just want like the flamboyant like music videos and, like the ballet dance and oh it needs to happen now mike um no i think they need something like that but also i'm thinking maybe a, well this well the eagle said hell froze over when it happened but who knows? Maybe Dennis enters back into the picture. That could definitely. Yeah, too. It would be nice if they. The only problem I think is that they they love Lawrence and they they're such a tight group now with friends and everything with Lawrence. It would be hard to say we're going right. to go do this without. You. That's a, I think that's the that's the thing that I don't think is ever going to get them to do a long term thing. You know, maybe they do a concert, maybe they do a benefit, or maybe Dennis joins them for a couple songs, you know, something like that. I just, and the only way I really think it's either doing is like a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but there's apparently bad blood in there and they don't seem to want to, you know, and I, again, I am nothing against Lauren. I love Lauren. I think he's, when you see them perform the band, he's amazing. His voice is strong, you know, and he, you know, embodies their music, but I, and I think they're very close to them. They're close to their group they have right now with Todd, their, their drummer, with Ricky on bass. They're a very close-knit unit. I don't think they want to, you know, expand past that. So do you think if they were hypothetically inducted, do you think it would be Lawrence that performs? Because I could kind of see like a Steve Perry scenario where... Yeah, but see, I think Steve can't really... I think Steve want doesn't don't want to come out and say it, but Steve can't sing to the level that he can he could anymore. You yeah. Know, or Dennis could. You know, so I think, you know, I think if they do it, I think they to me, the proper thing is is to have Dennis sing. Oh yes, I think that should definitely be the case. I mean you really can't have because he's the singer. He's kind of the lead singer. Tommy can come out and do they can, well I guess you could have Lawrence come out and they do too much time in my hands as part of the band. But then I think if you're saying, you know, babe, or you're saying best of times, or you're saying come sail away, Dennis has to be there. Oh my God. Yes. Like that would be, that would be amazing if he uh, performed with that. And honestly, what's one song, you know, or two songs or three songs, and then you're done. That's how I look at it. It's for the fans. I think that's what people forget with the rock roll of fame that when bands don't get back together when they should or when they could, you only get inducted once into the rock roll fame most of the time, unless you have like so another solo career, like a, I don't know, like Tina Turner or like Stevie Nicks or someone like that. Usually it happens once for you. So I always feel like capitalize on it while you can. And speaking of which, if they were inducted, who would you like to induct sticks? See, and that's the thing. I think that, um, and they they don't let them pick their own people now. You know, they they they, they Paul because it's an HBO special and stuff like that. I think you know it seems like they go with they pick people that people know. You know, to me, I think a person that would do it because they're so closely knit is Kevin Cronin. 
Kevin is with that with sticks is with with REO is they're all a close knit group. They play concerts together. They've been together from Chicago, the Midwest since the 70s. And they're very tight with Dennis and sticks. So I think I think Dennis would be I think Kevin would be a great one because he has all the history of they playing in Chicago and their roots and stuff like that. But I think yeah. they somebody I think they would go with you. Know, they probably go with somebody like Dave Grohl would do it or something. You know what I mean? They go with somebody that's which is not, you know, a good contemporary. I think it would be Jimmy Fallon because I feel like <laughs> I'd be a dead serious. Good one. He'd be good. He'd be fantastic. I like I think that. he would, too. And I think the thing is, is that uh, like in the last few years, they've been having really, really big names attend these ceremonies so like drew barrymore inducted the go-go's for example and even right, even exactly. though it wasn't in front of a live audience Charlie theron did depeche mode so i feel like there's like a chance that they bring in someone who's not a musician and i feel like that's perfect almost for a band like six because that kind of has kept their name in cultural zeitgeist in the last decade but also the fact that it's kind of hard pressed sometimes to say like this person was influenced by sticks. So it kind of works out almost perfectly for them. Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause sometimes it's like really easy to know who they're going to pick. And then there's someone where you're like, this could go either way. Kind of. What I understand that they, they kind of pick them because they don't want to pick like the star, if the artist, they might pick, you know, my music teacher from, you know what I'm saying? They want well-known people inducting them. Oh, yeah, that's the whole issue. They're going to draw ratings because now it's a big celebration that's all over the worldwide. Oh, yes. And, and plus, you also got to think, too, they got to advertise this. And if a lot of these names, like in the last ceremony, they were HBO-ready names in terms of be on that poster or in those commercials teasers like i think that's part of it too and if like jimmy fallon's on there for example you don't have to explain who jimmy fallon is like everyone knows oh, who he right, is they'll right, probably exactly. get like a funny speech because it's going to be an hbo special people are going to see it. So they got to have well-known people but i think that'd be kind of fun i just i would love to see him get in i don't know if it will happen but i'm going to keep my keep my fingers crossed to keep my hopes up i hope you're not fooling yourself mike <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Maybe I get too much time in my hands. I don't know. <laughs> Probably don't though. <laughs> no, this this was not a grand illusion. Put it that way. Hopefully, it's not a grand illusion. <laughs> oh no, I hope not. I hope we're not looking at that uh, crystal ball and we're saying, "I want to see Mister Roboto played at the Rock Hall. Make it happen." Now, yeah, I think you'd have to play that. Actually, that's a great last question. To ask you what like three songs do you think that they would perform? I think "Come Sail Away." I think if Dennis is involved, I think. Babe, because it's the number one hit. But I would say, you know, let me probably because there's a time limit. I'd say, come sail away. Too much time in my hands, so they had to feature. You had to feature Tommy, right. and then I think you had to do Mr. Roboto. I think Renegade. It's or I Renegade, think, yeah. So they usually do three or four. It depends on uh, the artist. I think they would definitely do too much time. That's like obvious to me. Renegade, probably only one of the ballads. I would say, come sail away, probably. Yeah, I think you got to limit that. So, and I think I think you're, I like your idea of Renegade because that's another song that's been used in movies and people know it. Exactly, that gets people to like get up and dance or and, sing yeah, along I, too. Yeah, I think those those be those be the three main songs that they would do because it's songs that have lived on. And Mr. Roboto, because 
I have to. And I've been like such a proponent for Mr. Grimbato for some reason throughout this entire interview. I don't know why. I think that was like my self-discovery on this episode is how much of a proponent I am of that song. <laughs> it's a good song. It's fun. Well, yeah, I I think that that would be a fantastic uh, ceremony. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the show. It was so much fun talking. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Nick. This is so much fun. I consider talk. I love coming on these things. You have a great podcast. You have great topics. I've learned so much by listening to your stuff, the things I didn't know. Uh, Millie Jackson, an artist you had on one of the first ones I heard. I'm like, oh my God, this she's awesome. You know, you have Millie so many things. Is amazing. <laughs> yes. Uh, she's, I've, I've listened to more of her music, but I, I love that because I learn more about it, you know. And learn more about the artist. So you do a fantastic job with it. And I wish you and nothing but the best in the future. I know this is like our part of Waygrift. He's going to say, come sail away next. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for the words. And uh, Retro Rock Roundup is such a great podcast as well. You get some some big guests and you have some wonderful guests that come on. And I just realized, too, we have a very similar podcast name, too. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> We have retro and rock in the in the titles, but so well, I guess good. Well, it, it, but I think that we both discuss things that are very similar. Uh yeah. I mean, we definitely do. I just like I, I looked at it. That's why I almost said my podcast for you, and I was like, oh wait, that's his podcast now. <laughs> like, so my retro rock roundup in yours is rock in retrospect, right? Yes, yes it is. It. Where could they find you on social media? So you can find us on Facebook at you know Retro Rock Roundup. We are on Twitter at, at Roundup Retro. And uh, you can find us also on Instagram under Retro Rock Roundup. And you can find us on all platforms, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get, I, get your podcast, we're there. And, and, and definitely check out uh, Retro Rock Roundup because it is a really good podcast and he does it with his son Jeremy. Yeah, and sometimes uh, Jerry, my Jerry's my uh, 19 year old son. He's going to he goes to college at Grand uh, Grand Valley State uh, University in Michigan. Um, he's been home for the summer, but he's we, he's trying to get things ready for school. So he still does when we get fitted in in this school year. You know, with the, with the wonderful thing of Zoom. He gets on in Michigan. I get on here, and a lot of times we'll do together things when we when he can fit it into his schedule. So it's fun, and he puts a new perspective. Artists, that, a lot of our older artists, contemporary artists that come in, love that a nineteen year old kid is into their music. We gotta his. talk one day, me, you, or Jeremy. We gotta yeah. we gotta do that someday. And um, Jerry agreed with a lot of things that I would not even think of artists and albums. Yeah, definitely. Of course, you guys can follow the podcast Twitter account, which is at Rock and Retropod. We're also on Instagram with that same handle. You can also follow my personal account, which is at Nick D. Bareback. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. And le- and by leaving a review, it also helps people discover the show. And you could discover all the great content, like this episode we just did with Mike on the Band 6. So Please do that if you can. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the show. And oh, thank, thank you, you for having me. This was a great idea. And I really had fun tonight doing this. Oh, thank thank you so much, Mike. Thank you also to our listeners for listening to our episode. And we'll talk to you guys later.